You're listening to the Second Breaks Podcast. This is episode 70. Coming up on the show, we're talking about one of the new economy careers and how you can get into it. my friend, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Second Breaks Podcast. If you're new to the show, first off, welcome! And just a little bit of introduction. The Second Breaks Podcast is a weekly show where we explore what it takes to make a career move in today's world. My name is Lou Blazer. I am your host. I'm a career pivot mentor and a second breaker myself. And if you are a regular listener, thank you so much for making me a part of your career journey. And you know, I consider it a huge, huge privilege that I get to be in your ears for a few minutes each week. And if you have any questions, suggestions for topics, or even just to say hello, in fact, I would love that. Uh, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly, lou at secondbreaks.com, or you can direct message me on Instagram. And on Instagram, you can find me at secondbreaks. Now, as you know, I often have guests on this podcast, and when I am looking or selecting guests for the show, I'm either looking for someone who's got an interesting career journey to share, you know, a story where we can pick one or two habits or practices that we can apply in our own careers, or someone who is maybe an industry expert or a thought leader who brings insight to help us understand the new economy or help us better navigate this ever-changing workplace landscape. My guest today, Meg Casebolt, hits both of those criteria. Meg Casebolt is an SEO consultant. In the most simplest explanation, she helps entrepreneurs and small business owners get found on Google. The work that she does today is one that I call new economy careers. That's my phrase. I made that up. (laughs) I mean by that jobs that were either not possible or not needed a few years ago, but are now a growing field. Now, when I initially invited Meg to the show, it was precisely because I wanted to talk to her about the work that she does today. For two reasons. First, and mainly to showcase one of those new careers that I'm talking about, new economy careers, to plant an idea or to, you know, bring a new possibility for you to consider. And then the other reason is because, you know, in case you happen to be someone who's thinking of building an online business or an online based career, SEO is something you definitely want to understand. So why not bring an expert to talk about that? But the interesting thing is that when I started chatting with Meg, I learned more about her story and I realized that her journey to becoming an SEO consultant is equally worth highlighting. So today's episode has two parts. The first part is where we get to know Meg a little bit and hear about her career story. And then in the second part, we get into the whole SEO discussion and what her job's all about and why it is important in today's digital world. Now, before we get into Meg's story, though, I want to invite you to a new challenge that I am hosting called Plan Your Pivot in 5 Days. This starts on Monday, November 5th, and runs for, well, 5 days, (laughs) through Friday of that week. And it is 
perfect for you if you have been thinking of making a career move or a pivot or a career change and could use some help crafting your plan of action. How do you actually make this thing that you want happen, right? Now, let me tell you that the first thing to making your career goal or career dream, however you want to call it, happen is to have a plan. So sign up for this week-long event, and by the end of that week, you'll have a plan that you can actually work on, and you'll be all set for the new year. How great is that? And then on top of that, you'll also be invited to attend the Make It Happen Masterclass, free for the challenge participants on the last day. It's like a you know graduation of sorts. So to get more details and sign up for Plan Your Pivot in 5 Days, go to the show notes for this episode secondbreaks.com forward slash episode seven zero. Okie dokie, let's get on with the show. Meg Casebolt started her career in the nonprofit world, helping with fundraising, grants, and donor communications. Right now, I'm an SEO consultant, so I help uh, primarily entrepreneurs and small businesses to get found on Google. That's the the short explanation in one sentence. Um, But before I kind of went into business on my own four years ago, I was working in nonprofits. I was a uh, fundraising and communication specialist. I wrote grants. I did events. I did uh, donor relations. Um, And while I was working for these nonprofits all over the East Coast, Um, I started doing more graphic communications. So they needed people to do their newsletters and to do their annual reports. And uh, as a grant writer, I actually wrote uh, some line items into a grant to for the nonprofit to pay for my training and buy me the software to do these types of <laughs> to do these types of um, pr- material production in house instead of needing to hire out to a graphic designer. I knew I had the eye for it. I knew I had the tech skills for it. I just needed the software and the training. Um, and so that was kind of how my career in graphic design began. Is because I was doing it as an employee at a nonprofit. Um, and <laughs> thank you to whichever foundation out there <laughs> funded me in doing that. And and um, you know was able to see kind of the the larger picture in that grant application that I wrote. Um, and so that's how I started. And I also started um, bringing my nonprofits that I was working for into the digital marketing space. So a lot of them were, you know, designing trifold brochures that would then you'd fold up and then you'd send them through the mailhouse and the mailhouse would put the thing on them and we'd send them, you know, through uh, the post office bulk nonprofit rate, you know, we did all that stuff physically, um, with actual newsletters that you got in the mail. And, uh, with the first nonprofit that I worked at, I was right out of college and I was like, guys, (laughs) let's just do an email newsletter. (laughs) We're going to save so much money. And if people don't open it, it won't cost us anything. And, and my executive director, like his jaw dropped, he was like, Oh my gosh, that sounds perfect. So, um, that's kind of the school that I came from is taking, people who have, uh, you know, an incredibly great mission statement and helping them to run things more efficiently and be online and kind of tell their story in the digital world. Um, And I also, at that time, I discovered how much I love data. I love, you know, and I came at it from a grant writing perspective, which is, you know, at the time I was working in a child mentoring organization and I was writing these grants and, you know, helping out with 
collecting the data from the program team. You know, how how much are these kids actually being impacted by having a big brother or a big sister in their life? And like digging into the data, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so useful. And I can tell this story and it will help us tell donors how, how much their dollars are making a difference in these kids' lives. And so at, even at that time, uh, you know, I don't want to say how long ago that was, 12, 13 years ago. Um, I never met a spreadsheet that I didn't like. Uh, just such a nerdy thing to admit. <laughs> One of the things that I picked up as she told her story there was how she initially got into design. Did you hear it too? Didn't it sound like it wasn't originally part of her job description and it sounded like she saw an opportunity to expand her skills, add value to the organization, and then she raised her hand. I asked her about that. It was definitely me raising my hand. You know, we were working with uh, pro bono or people, you know, graphic designers who were willing to give us a nonprofit rate on things. And I was the point of communication for those graphic designers. And I was the one, you know, collecting the stories that needed to go into the uh, annual report or the donor list. Or, you know, I was collecting all of the... um, auction gifts that came in and compiling them into packages and then sending that information to a graphic designer who turned it into a program book. And I was saying, I don't, I don't think I need to send this out to someone now that I'm seeing what they're doing and what they're, they're turning my, my words and my pictures that I'm sending them into. I think that I could do this. Um, and so the first, <laughs> the first couple of things that I did were not as, as uh, <laughs> professional looking as I would like to do now. Um, but you know, I think it just, there was this learning curve. And when you're working for, especially in this case, uh, my first job, I was there for about five years, it was a small nonprofit. And so the more that we could do in house, the better it was for our bottom line. Um, and so I just kind of raised my hand and said, how about if I take this over? And, uh, you know, I was a year in or two years into that job. And they said, Yeah, that sounds great. You know, like, <laughs> Raising her hand, even if it initially meant additional work for Meg, led directly to a dream role. It felt so natural to take over the graphics for that job. Um, And then because I could do the graphics, I was able to get a job at um, a nonprofit that I had admired from afar for for many years, you know, I kind of, I landed in a dream position at, I'll, I'll just, I'll tell you, it's Partners in Health, which is um, a, an international global public health organization. So you may have heard about them through the books Mountains Beyond Mountains, which is the tale of, you know, Paul Farmer going down to Haiti and establishing, you know, a, a community health system in a rural area. And it was just this, this nonprofit that I adored. And because I had this experience of doing graphic design, and of kind of being in this nonprofit fundraising culture, I was able to leverage that into a job with a nonprofit that I just adored. Um, And so I kind of, I spent, you know, about a decade working for nonprofits in various capacities, often in kind of that communications, storytelling, data collection uh, role. And then, um, you know, about four-ish years ago, I was recently married, and I know that this happens to a lot of people on your podcast. I got pregnant, and I looked at my salary, and I looked at the cost of childcare, and I went, wow, this is not a good idea. 
I can't spend 50% of my take-home salary to not see my kid. It's just not fair. So that's when I started um, my digital agency. I started, um, you know, by just kind of freelancing with friends of mine who also had small businesses. So my first graphic design client was um, my former next door neighbor who ran a web design business. My second was my first grade best friend because she worked for a law firm in Connecticut. And, you know, and it just kind of snowballed from there. Was it a long, convoluted sort of conversation you've had to have with your husband or like, was it a big decision or was it just, you know what, this might, this does make sense. I'm going to go a different way. You know what? Entrepreneurship was never even on my radar until I met him. And he said, you know what would be cool? (laughs) He said, what if you found a way to work for yourself part-time and stay home part-time with the kid? It was his idea. Mm. Credit where credit's due. Um, and he said that to me, like before we were even engaged, kids weren't even on the, you know, it would, they were in the long-term strategy. Um, but he said, wouldn't it be great if this could work out, you know? And I, at the time I was like, well, what could I even do from home? What could I even do part-time? Like what, could, what would people even pay me for? And now I've been doing it for four years and, and my business has evolved as my skills and interests have kind of evolved, you know, and I've been able to pivot a couple times from being, you know, a straight print graphic designer And then um, I had a couple web design clients who brought me on to do business cards for their clients and those kind of print materials. And then I got behind the scenes of, you know, doing web design for them and going, well, I can do this. (laughs) You said something about your first earlier clients were people, you know, your previous neighbor, your old friend from your grade school friend or whatever. Uh, Did you just tell them, hey, listen, I'm trying this out? Because that's another uh, fear of a lot of people who are thinking about doing a side gig or f- jumping into freelancing is like, how do I get my first few clients? Yeah, I, with one of them, I just she was a friend of mine, and she was having coffee, and you know we were having coffee one one Saturday morning and pre kids, and um, she just said, you know, I'm looking for somebody to help me out, and I said. I would, I could help you out, you know, and I think that started at like 10 bucks an hour part time, just because she needed somebody who could do it. And then once I kind of proved myself, she was able to introduce me to new clients that she was getting. And then the other person just posted on Facebook, hey, does anyone know a designer who could help my business? You know, she was working for like a multi-million dollar law firm that would just needed help doing advertisements for actually for nonprofit program books. So the nonprofit piece carried through to that was one of my first clients. And and I stayed I, I stayed into their graphic design for like three or four years with them. Before I even started the business, I was working with them just, you know, starting to get my feet wet in the freelance world. And it was very much, you know, it wasn't me. I, I know that there are a lot of sites like like Upwork or Odesk or places like that where you or Fiverr. I've never had to use those sites because I just kind of have connected with people and reached into my past. And when things get a little quiet, I reach out to people that I know and say, Hey, <laughs> just so you know, I have some spots available. And do you know anybody who needs this? And um, just kind of use this word of mouth networking in a way that has never, never knock on wood, never let me down. Just sometimes it's just sharing with others what we do, or just, you know, this is what I'm doing. Do you know anybody who might be interested? Right. And I think it, it's uh, it's about developing and maintaining and growing and nurturing relationships. And, um, 
you know, Lou, you and I just connected and uh, now I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, what do you do in your business? How can I send you referrals? You send me referrals. Oh, you need, you know, you need a photographer. You need a copywriter. I, I know people that would work with, you know, and it's just this constant process of helping other people out and asking for help is basically my, my business is built on that kind of word of mouth relationship development strategy. Now, sure, this last bit tells us the story of how Meg got started with her first clients in her business by reaching out to her network, sharing her work, and raising her hand when she saw an opportunity. But what I really love about these actions are that they are not just uh, useful or applicable for when you're starting a business. In fact, you can apply the same ideas within or inside a corporate structure. Sharing your projects, what you're doing or what you're studying, even looking to do in the future, for example, are practical ways so as not to get pigeonholed into a role and to continue to grow and pivot even within a particular organization or company. So now I want to switch to my conversation with Meg, where we get really into her current job as an SEO consultant. Now for the uninitiated, SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. And here's Meg talking about what it really is and why it is important in today's world. So I like to think of Google as like a matchmaker, where you you say to Google, like, here's what I'm looking for. And it wants to give you the best results that it can based on what your intention is, what you're searching for. And so Google will look at a variety of things. It's not always necessarily the keywords that you type in. Sometimes it, it bases search results on um, where are you standing? Where are you physically making this request from? So I live in New York. And so the results that I come up with are more likely to be close to me, even if they're not always the best, the closest type, you know, the closest search result match. You know, so I was actually uh, doing a call today with a, a photographer in Virginia, and I was able to say to her, here's where you're coming up in the search results, but I can't actually show you what that looks like because I can't see the search results that people in Virginia are seeing. If I type in the same search query, then what comes up are people in New York. You know, I didn't realize that. So my yeah. Google result, even if we ask the same question, might be different from your Google results. And if you're browsing in Google Chrome and you browse for a variety of things, then it will start to kind of have an idea of what your user persona. I mean, it's true. It's true across all um, all uh, browsers. But as long as you're using Google across, you know, even if you're using Firefox or whatever. But if you're if you're using your same login information, then your search results will start to be tailored to what you are looking for and what you prefer. Um, and sometimes that's like, oh, she really likes to watch videos. So let's show her the YouTube clip as well as the blog post that answers the question. But um, a lot of it is really based on your preferences and the things you've searched for before. It creates a very vast understanding of who you are as a searcher as well as what is the information that's out there. And then it will kind of try to match that information up. And so it's not necessarily just, you know, she searched for this phrase and where does this phrase exist on the internet? You know, and as long as you search for the right phrase, then you get what's closest. It's also like, well, 
I have this same phrase in two places. Website A has a bunch of links from other websites. It's been around for 10 years. It's constantly updating its content. Website B has only been around for a month and nobody's linking to it. I think I'm going to make sure that the first result that comes up is website A. Even if like technically the phrase is closer on website B, it will often kind of weight some of those other factors about your website um, more than just the phrase that you're looking for. So when I say, you know, I, I try to help people get found on Google, it's taking a look holistically at everything that's happening on your website. If you have links that are broken and go nowhere, then Google's going to crawl through and be like, oh, she hasn't updated all of her links. That's a, you know, that's a, a demerit, essentially. Or if you have a bunch of people sending links to your website, it'll say, oh, these are like endorsements. You know, let's, let's make sure that, uh, that we recognize that this person is getting some endorsements from other people around the, the internet. And that's like a, a bonus, you know? And so there's 200 different factors that go into the Google algorithm and you don't know what's being weighted on any given day. So it's really, it's sort of like a, a trial and error of are you using the right words? Are they set up the right way? Are people linking to your site? Uh, you know, does your page load quickly? Is it, does it look good on a cell phone? Um, there's a, a, and then there's also this piece of like, you know, does Google have all the information about where you're located or who, where are the people that you want to serve or who are the people that you want to serve? So there's so many factors going into these search rankings. There's a whole science behind it. So it's not, it's not if you build it, they will come. It's absolutely not, you know, and even when we talk about, you know, like the internet's full of cat videos, but like you have to be very specific now about like, I want a video of a cat. Um, you know, <laughs> when somebody's making the bed and the cat's going crazy, like everything is so specific and the specificity that you have to use to be found by the people who are looking for what you're selling is so such a targeted strategy. I was reading an article or I, I didn't really read the whole thing. I put it onto my pocket to read later. But the first couple of sentences in the article was something about having to reconcile the fact that Google and any of these search engines is basically regulating um, what we read because they're the ones supplying us with the results, right? So I may be asking, you know, the new, the new whatever it is, gizmo thing, but Google quote unquote decides what to give me. So there's that. And do you, do you, do you agree that Google regulates what we see? I wouldn't necessarily say regulates. I would say more um, curates. Mm, so that's a good way of looking at it. Regulate. All the information is out there and we all have access to all the information. But Google wants to give you what you want to read. And I think the same is true for, you know, during uh, the recent American election, we all heard about the echo chamber of Facebook where, you know, they're not going to share um people's opinions with you that clearly disagree with your opinions. I mean, sometimes they do just to poke you, <laughs> but you know, you, you, part, one of the reasons that the Democrats lost the last election is because they didn't see the other side of the story because they were in these places where everyone agrees with them. And, Oh, obviously this is what's going to happen. These are the results. Um, and I think that that's a really dangerous thing. 
Now, one of the concerns I hear from folks who are looking to branch out or to get into a new field of work is how much retraining or additional schooling is needed to get qualified, right? So there's a worry about how much school work is needed to to be qualified for this new field of work. So in case you were thinking about, you know, how can I get into SEO if you're thinking that this work that she's doing sounds interesting to you? So I asked Meg how she got started with SEO. <laughs> I was a web designer for uh, a wide variety of clients and the clients were loving the the visuals that we were creating together and they loved being able to tell their stories and they launched these gorgeous new websites and then no one saw them. And that was a really disappointing thing for me as somebody who had put time into this and seen the amount of work that my clients were putting into their new websites and seen the the kind of excitement. And then it was like a balloon deflating of like, I thought this was going to change everything. And it's just, I have the same audience. I just have prettier, prettier materials, you know, and it, it didn't really make the difference that they thought it was going to make in their business. And so I started doing some research in addition to my web design saying, okay, how are some ways that we can, as we're overhauling your website, as we're building something new, what are some ways that we can tap into that kind of world of people who are searching for what you are selling? What are the it's not just how do I want to talk about my business? It's how does what I'm talking about align with what other people are looking for? It was my clients who, who kind of made me start thinking, okay, how can I structure things a little bit differently? What can I set up in the back end of their website to make them more attractive to new audiences? How can I make sure that we're using terms and aligning the way that we talk about and position their business in a way that is in alignment with what people want? Um, is this the kind of thing, Meg, that you think people need to go to school for? Or like, there's that fear in people's mind that if they want to branch out into something, oh my God, I need to go to school, I need to study, I need to enroll in some kind of program nights and weekends. But is this the kind of thing that needs that level of education? No. I um, I really, I think that there are some professions that need to have a certain level of professional education. You know, I don't want to go to a doctor or nurse who has not finished their school. I do not want to go, you know, and I think, you know, or dentist or a lawyer, like there are professions where you need to have a certain amount of credentials. But I really, I think of this new economy that we're in as a little bit of like the wild west mm-hmm. um, for two reasons. One, there's, there's no specific, you know, there, there are certifications. So like I'm, Google Analytics certified, you know, so you can go through and learn specific systems, you can learn specific software and be able to put that badge on your website. But also, like, I think if I were to go back and get a four year degree in this topic, by the time I finished my sophomore year, what I learned in my freshman year would not be true anymore. Everything changes so quickly. And that was one of the reasons that I decided I really wanted to dig into SEO is because I couldn't do it part time. Because it changes so rapidly. Everything's changing so rapidly. I actually went to college. Um, at a, I went to Temple University, which has a giant communications school. And I had tons of friends who went and got their degrees in broadcasting and mass media and journalism and public relations and all of these topics. And a couple of them are teachers, a couple of them are nurses. And I, I got my degree in political science and I'm the one working in communications, you know? 
Communications is, of course, not a new thing. What's new about it is the medium, that much of how we communicate, how we find and spread information is now online and digital. As this is the world that she intimately knows, I asked Meg what she finds exciting about digital communication. I think, you know, what do I find exciting about digital communications? I find the the fact that even though we're all sitting behind computers, it's still, it's easier to connect than it used to be. You know, it used to, in Lou, you and I were talking about this beforehand. It used to be that when we were, you know, working in, in offices, you know, I could just, oh, I have a question. Let me literally pop my head above a cubicle yes. and ask a question or like, oh, I need to get up and stretch it. Oh, good news. You know, it's Michelle's birthday. Let's go down and get some cake. You know, like there's, there was that physical relationship and friendships that would start in the workplace. And now, even though I'm sitting in an office in New York and you're sitting in an office in Florida, we're still having this conversation. It's, it's not, yes. Would I like some birthday cake? Of course. (laughs) But I think that we still have this opportunity to be real human beings with a much broader reach. I totally agree with that. There is one author that I follow. um, Her name is Joanna Penn. I mention her all the time. (laughs) Before Google, before the internet, it would have been impossible for me to quote unquote meet her or have any kind of relationship with her unless I went to her one of her book signing things, right? Mm -hmm. But now with the world that we're in, she is on Twitter. Sometimes she posts something on Twitter and I would react and hey, she responds. So I have a connection with somebody that would have been impossible for me to connect with, you know, years ago. Yeah, the world is a much smaller place and it's it's much easier to do the outreach and get personal connections out of it. You know, like Twitter and I do a lot of like Instagram stories and kind of show the behind the scenes of my life and people that I don't know are DMing me and being like, wow, you know, that's really cool. Like way to go on that run or, you know, oh, I can't believe how much cheese you have in your grocery store. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's an exaggeration. I don't, I only take pictures of charcuterie at the grocery store. (laughs) One last question, Meg, where can people find you online? So if you want to geek out about Google with me, you can find me over at megaboltdigital.com. My name is Meg Casebolt. So that's kind of my my superhero alias is Megabolt. Um, and then you can also find me on Facebook or Instagram at Megabolt Digital. Well, Meg, this is brilliant. I love this conversation. I have to have you for another round. I would love to come back, Lou. I'd really, really love that opportunity. So that's what I have for you for today's episode, my friend. I hope you found this useful. One more time, the show notes where you will find out more about Meg Casebolt. And the link to sign up for Plan Your Pivot in 5 Days is secondbreaks.com forward slash episode 70. And I hope you do sign up because I want to help you craft your plan. If you enjoy this episode or this podcast, I would be grateful if you would leave me a rating and review on iTunes. It helps me tremendously in reaching the folks who could benefit the most from our topics here. You can find the step-by-step instructions at secondbreaks.com forward slash review. This is a good time to hit that subscribe button, my friend, if you're not subscribed yet so you don't miss any of the future episodes. Every Thursday, there's a new one that gets published. I come back here every Thursday with a new episode to help you make that move that will lead you to the career that you so want, the career that will support the life that you want to live. 
That's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening and being with me for a few minutes today. I so appreciate it. And I cannot wait to chat with you again next week. In the meanwhile, you know it, my friend. Keep on making your dance. Cool beans.